Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Laura Bodofsky-Vizhnevsky, and she is going to be talking to us about her new book, Sanctuary Vermont. She is the winner of the Janet M. McCabe Poetry Prize and the Poetry International Prize. She had an earlier chapbook with an intriguing title, How to Prepare Bear. But we're here today to talk about Sanctuary Vermont. So, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here, Charlie. Thank you. Why don't you tell us, tell everyone listening what what the book is and and what you're doing? Because then then they'll know what I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know how so, it is a bunch of persona persona poems and primarily, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so all of the poems in the book are set in an imaginary Vermont town. Um, and all of the voices, all the characters are fictional. And, um, you know, the poems are either persona poems, first person, or Mm -hmm. um, uh, reflect the um, inner life of a lot of different voices from Mm -hmm. all different um, uh, backgrounds. And the poems move, there are two sections, the poems move through history in the first section and then come up a little more to the current times in the second section. Um, But there are a lot of different people speaking their experiences. I was mentioning to you before we started uh, recording that it's interesting that you take the town and you run it through its history and you begin 400 million years ago. (laughs) and that was just a nice little you know made me smile before I read the book (laughs) yeah um well like I was saying um at that time that there was a important geological event that um at least in some parts of the state uh created the mountains and the flatlands um called the Taconic orogeny I love that word and um that fault line between the flatlands and the mount and the mountains and the hills actually parallels um, a socioeconomic fault line too. At least, in, for instance, in the town that I live in, um, because the people who lived in the hills had the running water running down, and therefore the um, the mills 
whereas the people in the flatlands were left to farm for the most part. And I just was like fascinated that there could be that kind of parallel between the geology and the sociology. Yeah, it's, it's like when they run a throughway through a hot, through a town, a city, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we've got a real divide, which often ends up being socioeconomic. Yeah. And one of the things I was really interested in when I was writing this book was exactly what you said, like, you know, where people come together and where they're divided, um, you know, because uh, I was paying attention, not just to the a little town in Vermont, but just to the country in general. It's not a big newsflash that there's a lot of divisions. And I was yeah. intrigued about like how the history of those divisions too. Yeah. And uh, you, you did tell me this, this town is fictional, but it, is it pretty typical in your mind? I, you know, I don't you know. <laughs> I can't really, I don't know enough to, to say that. Um, you know, some of my research um, came from one town, some came from others. So it's not like everything I learned was about one town. Um, I think in some ways it's probably typical of small towns beyond Vermont. Um, uh, so in, in that sense, I hope so. Um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What that, that may be typical. an unfair, it might be an unfair question because, no, that, because yeah. it's a bunch of you, what you really present is uh, we have a lot of individual experiences, which yeah. Of course, many would be universal, would happen any place. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. Well, why don't you uh, read us a poem? All right. Good. That's easier than talking about it. <laughs> so I, maybe I'll read this one, which is an historical one. Um, and maybe I'll just say one thing about it. It's um, the name of it is Our Year Without Summer, 1816. And um, In 1816, there was this big volcanic eruption in Indonesia, which emitted so much ash that it created temporary climate change um, in many parts of the world, including um, the US, Northeast. And so it's sometimes referred to as the year without summer. So this is um, our year without summer, 1816. Every month there was a frost Frozen birds fell rigid from the sky. Shorn sheep perished where they stood. The corn crop failed, as did the grain. Even Mrs. Moore, who heretofore had put on airs, bowed her head in thanks for hedgehog stew and nettles. In June, when Prudence Lexter froze while fetching wood, I took her seven children in poor spindly deers. They died all but the oldest girl when the sickness came. It struck us like a drunkard's blow. Boys took up spades to help George Franklin dig the graves, but the stunned ground would not break. That smooth skinned pastor up from Boston, blamed it on our sins and our youngsters stealing kisses in the birches down by Black Plum Lake. A God who wields his anger cold, I do not hold to that. I say, 
We are a frail and faltering flock cast out into this wilderness of rocks and wind. The touch of skin to skin is all we've got. I'd rather praise the blood than curse the heart. Yeah. Did you uh, know about 1816 before you <laughs> looked into this? No. And it was, I was, you know, I was telling you before, I just get so excited about like these, this research because I didn't know a lot. Um, I, I talked to other people who were like, oh yeah, 1816, but I didn't know. And I found this um, wonderful in my local library, this wonderful firsthand sort of history of the town that had been written. Um, I'm not positive about this, but I'm pretty sure in the late 1800s. And it talked mm -hmm. about this um, episode and how Mr. So-and-so took the wagon to Troy, New York to get rice and then came back to the town and doled it out to everybody. And um, I was struck by how at that point, you know, the town kind of had to come together. Um, it's also um, was a year where a lot of people just said, I'm done with this business and just left Vermont. So there was a big exodus because literally it was, it was almost impossible to farm for the, the whole uh, wow. year. Yeah. So no, I didn't know about it. Most of the things that I wrote about, I didn't really know about until I delved in. It was exciting. Yeah. Back it up then. How, uh, how, how did this project get going? Did you have a, a couple of poems? I mean, so you didn't know. Did you have a poem or two or something and decide, hey, I wonder what happened if I made up this or what happened? No, it, it actually started with, I, I was walking around my town and like a lot of small towns, I'm sure everywhere, including in Vermont, this um, development was just starting to really make it clear that this whole small, you know, all the things that make it look like a little small town. I'm like, you know, this is not going to last forever. There's going to be a time and it's not going to be too far ahead where this is just going to be erased. And I just really wanted to document it. I'm like, I, I just, I want to like get this down before it's gone. Um, that was my first uh, mm -hmm. idea for it. So first came the idea and then came the poems. And then I went to a um, little history exhibit at my wonderful local library. And there are, you know, all sorts of artifacts and, you know, oral histories. And um, I noticed that um, only the people of kind of Anglican descent were there. Mm. You know, there were like, there were no like French Canadian names in the high school graduation list. And I was at like, and I started to think wow. there's a whole bunch of people who are just like missing from history. And so that really kind of, um, uh, that inspired me to, mm -hmm. you know, try to be in, as inclusive in terms of the voices in the poem as I could be. And then I just, you know, started doing research. I bored my friends out of their minds because I was constantly like going, did you know this, you know? So um, that, and that's, that's Perfect. how it started. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> well, read another one then. All we right. Have to, be, have to be sure to get the poems in here, but I love hearing the stories about how it happened. 
Uh, and a project thanks. like this is, you know, everyone doesn't do this. And uh, who knows among our poet listeners who may want to do this. So yeah. them hearing well, the things that you went through, I think is uh-huh. a good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. This one, um, I think maybe there might be some history to talk about afterwards, but I think I'll just read the poem first. Sure. Peonies, 1924. In June, the petals of Maman's white peonies bloomed against the picket fence, spreading out like mirth unbidden, like girls dressed fancy, laughing over nothing. So it seemed the year the clan sprang up like mushrooms after rain, sudden, strange. The night the clan burnt down our picket fence, there was no moon. The shouts woke me. I'd never heard the sound of hate before, but I knew it the way a horse knows fire. The sight, the pointed hoods thrown back, like ladies' bonnets on a windy day, their faces torch-lit. Among them, my own beau, Augustus Bannister, his mother, his father mad with drink. I'd seen a wild dog's mouth twist like that. The peonies are gone. Maman let the charred ground lay. Papa sleeps with his rifle near. The clan did that like mold to hay, and my blossom days ended. Sometimes the corn's silk is gold while there's rot in the cob. It's the same with the world, and it's best to know. I don't think people typically maybe associate the clan with Vermont, but they were here for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a short period of time, and just given the demographics of the town, the one of the biggest um, targets of the Klan were um, people uh, were Catholics and people of French Canadian descent, um, because up here the Klan was very to- closely tied with anti-immigration um, mm. movement, uh, you know, and um, I don't know, like maybe something we know more recently. So uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it didn't gain the way it, uh, the same kind of foothold that it did in the South, but there's no denying that it was here. Yeah. It was here. Wow. It was here, yeah. Did you, did you have any uh, particular source in your search where you went, oh my God, what a treasury of it, whatever. You know, I'm just you mean for the for the yeah. whole book. Um, yeah, for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Okay. I mean, there were certain um, there were certain sources that gave me a lot of information for any one particular poem, oh, okay. but there wasn't like a no that sort of treasure trove where. <laughs> I, yeah. And especially okay. because I what I tried to do when I could was you know to find like newspaper articles written at the time. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, um, I, there may be such a, a thing, but I, I didn't stumble um, on it. And I also have to say, I really liked the, like digging for the, you know, the, I, I, my, sure, I sure. go from the general to the specific. That was really what I wanted. Yeah. And you were looking for those different perspectives. So yeah, yeah. one person's diary would not be ideal. 
Right. Oh, right. Uh, for the big picture. You know. But for that, per, for, for uh, one particular. Yeah. 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 I get that. And, yeah. And I, you know, it may sound kind of woo woo, but really the, these characters kind of, they, they just kind of showed up in a certain mm-hmm. way, you know, and they had things to say. And I really, my experience of it was more like kind of taking notes for these people, you know, rather than like, <laughs> you know, molding them. Um, you know, I mean, obvi- obviously I, I wrote the poems, but it, sure. the feel of the, of writing it, which was really pretty wild was like these, these people showed up and said, this is what I have to say. You were channeling the spirits. I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah. kind of felt a little bit like that. <laughs> Great. Well, you should have fun when you're writing a book if you can, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's why we, I think that's why we like to write books. Right. I like to write I mean, poetry. It's, yeah. it's such fun. It is. It is. And I mean, I can't, I mean, fun is a little tricky because a lot yeah. of the stuff that I r- write about in this book is very hard stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's just a lot of suffering that, you know, these characters had to talk about. Um, so, you know, I don't know, that almost leads me to the next poem. Well, perfect. Let's just hear it. Who knew? Okay. Uh, uh. Um, so this is, uh, you know, speaking of a lot of suffering, um, the First World War, the Great War, really at the end of that war, there was just um, some really deep psychic pain all over the world. And so this is after that, um, at the Tears and Fears Cafe, after the Great War, 1919. You want burnt bread with an iron crust, a carp's strafed head on a broken plate, dove's gut, angry meat bled dry, whiskey that cuts across your tongue to the dead part. You want the scald, but they bring you quiet, dark plums. They bring sweet, cool, cream. They know why you've come. They know what you've seen. They can read it on your wrists. They'll take you like this, empty. That captures it. Yeah, I'm a little loose with the word fun. (laughs) But there's somehow, it's writing poems is a very enjoyable activity. It's probably a more accurate way. It's to gratifying. Say it. And it's when you get it right, you, I mean, yeah. even if it's a terrible thing, if you think you've expressed it well and got it down, then you go, oh yeah, yeah there's that, that yeah. good feeling. Right. That's your experience when you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very gratifying and it's kind of thrilling in a way because it's more than you, right? And and also what you're saying you want to do. There are all these voices. You want to speak for them. And if you think you've successfully done that, what a good thing. I hope you, so. You no, it's a good thing. Yeah. I hope I've done them justice. Yeah. I'd say so. Read another Thank poem. You. This is good. All right. Um, okay. So I can tell you a little bit about um, how I came to this poem. Um, 
I was listening to some oral histories on Vermont uh, Folklife's website, which is a wonderful resource. Uh, and this was uh, um, an oral, uh, an interview with uh, someone who was talking about when they had brought uh, electricity to her family farm. And that was in the late 30s. What really struck me about the interview was that when she talked about um, how it was when she saw electricity for the first time, the woman who at that point, I think was probably in her 80s, started to cry. She was so overwhelmed with the, what it had meant to her as a young girl. And then I did some a little more research about her and um, I, I found out that she had been in the um, Army Corps of Nurses and um, I had, uh, I believe she had some of the, I know for sure, some of the members of the Army Corps of Nurses were um, part of the, um, the military that um, liberated the camps in Germany, uh, Dhaka. And so speaking of not fun, you know, I decided I really delved yeah. pretty far down into what that was like for, those people who came to liberate the camps. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so I wrote this poem. Um, and of course, I think this is not this woman and this is not her name. I fictionalized sure, this. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a talk by Margaret Beach, retired army nurse. In April, 1939, deep snow still lay on the ground. When they brought electric to our farm, I heard it first from Bob Laverne, whose father laid the line. You'd best run home, he said, before they send the current through, the, through your pasture fence and electrify you. I always feared that fence, its metal claws. Dachau, 1945. The barbed wire was still live. Bodies stacked like cord wood, living, lying with the dead. We sorted them like eggs. I closed my eyes, breathed slow, until a calm came over me, like midnight after snowfall. But what I meant to say was it was April 1939, Snow still on the ground, the daylight almost gone. I was so excited. There was our farmhouse, bright as if the sun sat in my mother's kitchen. Light reflected off the frozen field. Light turned my boots to white, the pasture fence to silver. I cried with the thrill of so much light and I ran. Everything was alive. I remember that poem because she says electric. And my grandmother used to, right. used to say that, you know, right. turn off right. the lights, you're wasted by electric. Right. Yeah. No. And I, and I gave you big authenticity points for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, um, and around, around where I live, that's what people still call, they still oh. say elect, you know, not everybody, but, yeah. you know, um, Although now we say power, 
And where I live, yes. since we're constant, our power, we're constantly losing power. We use that word in a very powerless <laughs> way. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Yeah, but I already saw that one. Oh, my goodness. She, she did some research on this. That's, that's right. <laughs> so that's really good. Thank well, you. I, I don't know. I, you, want to read, you want to read another poem? We can do another one if you want to. We got time. I think I'll, I'll read the last poem of the book. Um, which is set in, in, in the future. Just one, one poem only is set in the future. Um, and this is called Plum Lake Rural Clinic Number 10, year 2061. And it begins with this epigraph. O veriditas digiti dei, O greenness of God's finger, which is from Symphonia by Hildegard von Bingen. Still half asleep, three young physicians follow Sister Jessica. Sister's God thinks in greens and threes, creation, fall, salvation. She says, do not obstruct God's genesis of leafy wings. She says, passing between palates, in all creatures there is viriditas, in all dirt viriditas, in all souls, those green-tongued bells, there is viriditas. Surely the tender shoots that crack the sodden walls, the pale pink skin that closes the wound's eyes, noon's breakthrough rays testify to it. Sister, like a blade of grass and wind, tends the sick, bending over them, then straightening to listen to God's strain. Well, in the courtyard of the drowned, nurses sing the Lithuanium. Tame rats doze in crabgrass in St. John's Wort. What comfort those voices are. The old machines, IV, X-ray, EKG, lie moldering in storage closet one. Do not mistake the relic for the spirit of the saint, says Sister Jessica. Seize, recede, seeds, redress last breaths with green. Do not obstruct God's urge to lick clean the afterbirth. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here on Poetry Spoken Here. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's just been really delightful. Thank you. Well, folks, I'm Charlie Rossiter, and we've been talking with Laura about her latest book, Sanctuary Vermont, from Orison Books down in North Carolina. As I said, this is Poetry Spoken Here, and I hope you will be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter 
at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.